these spectacular scenes, the gay, colorful rhythms of Brazil at Mardi Gras time, the pulse-pounding sweep of the Pampas, the exotic beauty of Peru, Argentina, Brazil, out of the romantic laughter of dashing gauchos and carefree dancers comes the inspiration for Walt Disney's glorious new musical feature, Saludos Amigos. Welcome back to Who's Filmography Is It Anyway, folks, where the points don't matter, but the sombreros do. This week, we move away from the golden era of Disney, and we move towards the wartime era. Yes, a lot of war, a lot of time. And uh, what better way to do it than uh, explore Latin America? So uh, we're going to take a deep dive into uh, two films today, Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros. So... <laughs> Hope you're ready to speak some Spanish, folks. And I hope you're ready to be offended at our um, broken Spanish-English uh, translation over here. So um, at our poor, poor attempts. So anyway, uh, let me get to it already. So as always, I'm Josh Page. With me, as always, my co-host and friend, Stephen. That's a great warning about butchering the Spanish because that is uh, definitely going to happen more than once. <laughs> in this podcast a full disclaimer uh, uh you know for anyone who speaks spanish um as their first language i'm so sorry or even as their second language or even their third I, or fourth what's pathetic is i took <laughs> spanish in like middle school and high school i took maybe six or seven years of spanish and Same. i still do not remember a goddamn word <laughs> like that is like a horrible the, uh, the education system is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my, my, uh, my grandmother uh, came right off the boat from Puerto Rico. So, um, Car Carmen, Carmen Lopez is her name. Yeah. So, <laughs> and she got mixed into the old uh, us American pages, uh, and so uh, she grew up attempting to teach us Spanish, and I took Spanish in uh, like your middle school and high school. So I have somewhat of an education, but. Uh, I, I'll attempt every now and again to speak Spanglish, and it's very offensive at how little I actually know. <laughs> so just prepare yourself for that, everyone. So, Josh, I know we haven't really been doing this much, but uh, was this your first time watching either one of these movies? Uh, both of these in full, yeah. Okay, yeah. It was the first. Um, I think that it was my first time watching these movies in full, too. I had seen a couple shorts from it, from both these movies, but uh, I don't think I ever sat down and truly watched them. And this um, is a, an interesting experience. <laughs> this is an experience to say the least. The, um, the, only, the only time I recognized was when they do the Three Caballeros musical number. And I, re I just, the imagery looked familiar because I mean, I had seen it in clips and whatnot. And I realized that it, uh, the Disney sing-along VHS tapes huh. that we had as children Remember with the little bouncing Mickey head you ever had? I remember those. I watched one of, them. One of those, the Three Caballeros was on one of those tapes. So that was the, I think that's the only memory I actually have. Everything else is kind of brand new. The Three Caballeros were also on the House of Mouse. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. The House of Mouse. Jesus. <laughs> really going back in time. That show was like underrated. It was a great way for them to like reintroduce old animation to kids. Oh. Clearly, you know, I guess they had a hard time finding a big audience. Uh, hard sell, hard sell. 
Uh, um, but, so yes. then you ready to just get into all the history of this movie? Let's... Uh, you ready for this history lesson? Let's bite the bullet uh, when they shoot up their pistols and yell their <laughs> Spanish obscenities and fire off their pistols. We'll bite all the bullets. Let's just do this thing, man. <laughs> That's the spirit. So uh, last episode, I said that the U.S. government came in to break up the strike at Disney Animation. The reason the government intervened is because the Disney Studios was about to be utilized by the United States government for the duration of the war. War had not been declared yet, but FDR knew where the fucking tide was going. He sensed that war was coming. So in 1941, while the strike is happening, the U.S. State Department comes to Walt and asks, hey, do you want to be an ambassador to South America for us? Literally the U.S. State Department, because they needed the State Department uh, and FDR were worried that uh, the Nazis were gaining ground in Latin America. And let's be real, they kind of did, because where did all the Nazis flee to after, uh, after the war was over? Argentina and Brazil. Uh, but the State Department needed an ambassador to the South American countries because the U.S. State Department was not gaining ground anywhere. They weren't getting anywhere. Uh, Walt uh, said that he wasn't really interested in that kind of line of work until they said, okay, how about if we send you as an ambassador and then we hire you to make some movies for us? So they struck up a deal where these movies, even if they lost money at the box office, would be covered by the United States government. Ah, that must be nice. Must be nice. (laughs) Um, So so, uh, Walt accepted, you know, why not? And while he was away on this 12-week trip that was commissioned, the U.S. uh, Labor Department came in and ended the strike at Disney. So everybody wins. Everybody wins. Walt (laughs) didn't have to be part of the conversations with the company. Sure. I mean, the top top note on IMDb, just to wrap wrap up what you're saying, is that the uh, Saludos and Three Caballeros were created by Disney in order to improve the United States of America's relations with South American countries during World War II. Yeah. So ob- obviously this was an incredibly hostile time. And it's funny to think like, hey, how can we fix this? Let's let's make films, you know what I mean? Let's, uh, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact, but you know, Espionage 101 would kind of make me believe that Walt was a spy for these, uh, for the U.S. government, at least during this period. See, just to just to keep uh, in line with the the overarching uh, seasons of of the of the behind the scenes at Disney, this is the part where the creator, you know, he's, he has to go on a trip, and all of his employees are there. They're like, "Well, where is he going?" And then they speculate that he's a spy. And yeah, so Walt was uh, sent to the ABC countries, Argentina, Brazil, and Chile, uh, with a couple of his people. And they got a $500,000 trip to South America. It was a 12-week tour, 
all expenses paid, so pretty good. Must be nice. Must be nice. But apparently the group of people that was chosen were like very particularly chosen by Walt and the U.S. State Department. So, you, like I said, there was a, definitely like some spy shit going on. You know, oh, yeah. The U.S. government had to literally sift through profiles of the Walt Disney Company animators and say, okay, this guy looks like they could be good. Uh, Frank Thomas was the only animator that was chosen to go on this trip, which mm-hmm. is pretty crazy. Um, and it was at, he actually celebrated his 29th birthday in Rio, so that's pretty good. Wow. Ted Sears, of the, uh, who was the head of the story department, went to uh, on this trip. Norm Ferguson, who was an animator, came on the trip but was used as a supervisor. And Mary Blair was on this trip. She was a colorist and uh, at the studio. But on the trip, Walt like looked at her art and fell in love with it. And she would be used as a concept designer in future movies and at the future parks. She is the woman who designed It's a Small World. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, it's a small world after all, I guess. Wow. So they go on the trip for 12 weeks. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty. They go to Brazil. They go to Rio, specifically. Staying at the Gloria Hotel. All this information, by the way, is in a documentary on Disney Plus called Walt and El Grupo. I'll be honest, this is a movie where... uh, I'm giving you the plot points and you really don't need much more. (laughs) It was an hour and like 47 minutes and it was way too long. (laughs) Way too long. That's, uh, ain't nobody got time for that. No, no one's got time for that. (laughs) Uh, So apparently the team that went down to South America with Walt were given the nickname El Grupo. They got this name because... They didn't have cell phones during this period at all, clearly. So the Walt Disney employees would wait in the lobby for an announcement from the hotel to know where they were going on a specific day. And they would always be called by the lobby boy, El Grupo Disney. So that's how it uh, came about. While Walt was in Brazil, he met with the fucking president, which is crazy. He's definitely a spy. Definitely a spy. But like, <laughs> if you look at some of the footage, it's just crazy because it's literally like Walt is on vacation, just like and him and the entire group. Like, literally, they're gaining research of the culture. So they have to, like, take in the culture of Brazil and Buenos Aires. Yeah, no, that's and that's a huge part of it. It's the, it's just the, the traveling and the sightseeing and all that. But By the end of the trip, they were done they, they wanted to get the fuck out of south america and go yeah, home because yeah, yeah. you know 12 weeks is still a long time to be away from home yeah and some people the people that went away on the trip were like brand new fathers at brand you know like they're missing some important shit uh while walt was in uh buenos aires they had a premiere of fantasia which is pretty cool just a funny anecdote. Walt agreed to meet with the with school children while he was down in Buenos Aires, and he shows up 
to this auditorium filled with a thousand kids who then perform for him. <laughs> they performed music from Snow White. Oh, good grief. Which is crazy. <laughs> While Walt uh, was in Argentina, he received word that his father had died. Which, rough, rough stuff. Rough stuff for Walt. Tough stuff. Um, I guess we'll get into just like the last bit of information when they came back to actually do the animation obviously things had changed uh, at the studio they had the old employees back some of the ones who went on strike but it was only a matter of months at this point before Pearl Harbor happened I think they got back in like October or something and by December war World War had been unleashed so the people who went on the trip shared their like animation, their notes of what happened, but there was like a problem. There was a cultural disconnect between the people who went on the trip and the at people who actually animated this movie. So it became more of a hodgepodge of the Spanish culture and the American culture than mm. some people anticipate the people who went on the trip anticipated. Uh, it was also more American than some of the South American people who watched the movie like. Uh, you know, people in Chile were pissed that the only skit that they get is a Pedro the Plain. <laughs> but Brazil is thrilled because they get a beautiful Oh, they get a whole sequence. segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, That's it's literally a song jizzing about how good Brazil is. So, That's really funny. Yeah, appara know, apparently... Uh, uh, Chilean cartoonist uh, Rene Rios uh, Bodiger. Jesus, that's not that's not right. Um, and the cartoonist was dissatisfied with Pedro the airplane because he wanted a, a character that could be seen in the same league as Donald Duck and uh, Jose. And as a response to the film in 1949, he created the um, Condorito, which was an uh, anthro anthropomorphic condor a type of bird that can be seen in the segment. And he became, I guess, one of the more popular comic strip characters around the world. So it's, so that was, I guess, a retaliation <laughs> for him, for him saying, you know, fuck the plane, you know, <laughs> fuck the plane, um, Pedro, Pedro, the airplane, Pedro, we're going to get into very, a bit. very dissatisfied, but anyway, just while you were saying that, this no, but that's what I was saying, essentially, you know, in Chile, they were pissed about the, you know, the only shot that they got in a Disney movie. And Brazil gets this, like, beautiful watercolor thing. Like, it's a slap <laughs> in the face. But to be fair, the Disney animators, by the time they got to Chile, were, like, fucking exhausted. By yeah, that point, yeah. they'd been away for two months. And uh, to get to the where they were going in Chile, they had to fucking wear oxygen masks when the airplane went over the mountains. You know, that's not something that any normal person would like to do on an airplane. No, of you know? course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then are you ready to get into Saludos Amigos? Unfortunately. Saludos Amigos uh, was actually, it means hello friends. So there ah. you go. Oh, we should have opened with that. Saludos Amigo. Saludos Amigos. I guess, I don't know, again, I don't want to you know, offend people that are butchered <laughs> Spanish speaking. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my damn well best. I'm going to make Granny proud. Make her proud, man. <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, sometimes, you they, yeah, sometimes people forget to do things in this week. I forgot to do a plot breakdown. So I'm just going to go over quickly the plot. To be fair, there, it's more of a series of sketches than an actual plot. So, Well, yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to make a note of was actually that, like you said, we moved into like the technical wartime era of the Disney uh, animated phases. But the wartime era's nickname was... Uh, uh, they had a nickname for it, which was Package Film Era, because not a single one of the movies that come out between 1943 and 1949 are a single narrative film. They're a conglomerate of shorts. Um, they were actually, I read this earlier, they were actually um, originally intended to be released separately, and but they were combined, I guess, so that each short would only appeal to the people whose country it depicted. So yeah. I guess in hindsight, it works, because I can't imagine any of these segments as separate things. I mean, I'm sure that they, it could have worked if they kept them the lengths that they did, but it probably would have got lost in the rubble. Like by keeping them together, it helps. Yeah, that's going to be a common trend for the remainder of this podcast. A lot of these short, a lot of the movies that we are about to embark on were movies that were shrunk to shorts or they were shorts that were already in development and just thrown into the hodgepodge that is the movie of uh at large uh because you know disney lost a lot of their animators to the war Mm -hmm. you know they can't dedicate the effort that it takes to do a full narrative feature you need to do something short quick and get it out uh but we'll get into that more as we continue with the wartime era absolutely now let's get to the plot breakdown of saludos amigos so it opens with live action uh, footage of the animators, the actual animators who went on the trip boarding onto a plane. Uh, fun fact about that note, the footage of the team boarding the plane was staged after the trip when the decision was made to use home movie footage as linking material. Disney realized they had no footage of real boarding, so everyone dressed in the same outfits that they had left with, and they shot footage of them leaving the studio and going into a plane. <laughs> Good for them. It worked. Must, it off. must have been nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the plane lands at Lake Titicaca, where we see Donald Duck as a tour, well, where we see Donald Duck getting a tour of Lake Titicaca with the narration over it. Um, I don't know. Do we want to talk about each individual bit as like, we go down? or um, Whatever we can do to breeze, just because we we're doing both, so. Yeah, let's talk quickly about the Lake Titicaca thing. Just I, some of the depictions of the natives of Chile were a little rough. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say the word racist. It's not racist. It's just more kind of suggestive, I guess. It's not in the. I'm talking about this specific bit. Right, they I know made, exactly. I know what you mean. I feel like the people were made to look a little more um, archaic, I guess, than the average human being. Yeah. Uh, but we can move on from Lake Titicaca to Pedro the airplane. And then enter Goldilocks, who's like 
this, uh, you know, whatever, this cockpit's too big, you know, this cockpit's too small. Yeah. And then she's like, this cockpit's just right. And then the planes come back home and they're like, uh, you know. Yeah, the planes are anapomorphic. The baby plane is Pedro, who has to undertake a trip from Mendoza, no, from Santiago to Mendoza, which, okay, cool. Um, and while Pedro go, Pedro makes it over the mountain, past the scary mountain, but on the way back, he runs into some trouble, but he actually makes it home, even though we may think he's dead for a matter of one second. Um, so I guess, tell me, how do you feel about this, this short cartoon, Josh? Oh, we're doing thoughts on each. Uh, um, I, I have. We don't have to go too deep in on everything. I just want to know generally how you feel about this one because I, this is a very strange one. Um, yeah, it was very different than it was very different than anything else. I think uh, everything kind of had a flow to it, and this was yeah. kind of just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. It's like trying to, like they said, trying to invent a character that was on par with Donald Duck. Uh, and it kind of just, I guess, never really worked out for poor Pedro. Poor Pedro. We'll move on to El Gaucho Goofy, <laughs> where Goofy learns the life of a gaucho. By the way, I have to make a note that I didn't make before. Underneath every single one of these um, shorts is a narrator who is like going through the motions of everything and almost dictating the story. And I it, it it works for me in like, you know, there are some Disney shorts where like Goofy is learning how to work out and the narrator's voice is behind it. It's the same narrator. Right, right, right. And it works comically. But in this movie, it was just so over the top. Like, do we really need a narrator right now? It's really, I don't know how much of this we really needed. But at the time... Uh, at the time, I guess they needed it. Uh, but I'll save all that for my final thoughts. Yeah. So anyway, Goofy learns how to be a gaucho, which is a span, which is a cowboy, like in Argentina. And good for Goofy. He learns how to be a gaucho. Then we cut to uh, Watercolor of Brazil. Uh, I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not going to attempt to. Aquarela um, de Brazil, do Brazil. Acarela. <laughs> yeah. Acarela. De, de Brazil. De Brazil. Um, <laughs> where the live action blends into animation again because they do that as well. The Going from place to place, the animation, it, it always started with live action footage and then went into like animation. Um, so Donald is following... Jose, uh, Jose Carioca, Carioca, who is a uh, from from Rio de Janeiro. There you go. <laughs> All right, this and is... Jose just like gives him a little tour, teaching Donald the samba. You ready to get into the topics for Saludos Amigos? <laughs> Stephen, I've been so ready. I'm just, so, I'm just, as always. I'm very have... proud. I'm so sorry. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I'm very proud. Of, I'm very proud of you for attempting to just summarize the whole film i this is off the top of my head folks and i, I and i you know you can see how ineloquent i am and when I, i'm not written down and i'm as ineloquent as i am when i try to say these um uh these names in their native tongue 
clearly, uh, you know, we both. That's why I'm not even attempting. We, so, it's, you know, we could we could cut this whole thing, and it would just, you know, be fine. But hey, so let's it, get it into uh, the topics. As always, there's best song, best animated sequence, best voice actor, and most traumatizing moment. Tell me, Josh, what is your best song? Um, I think I, this one's pretty obvious, but La Samba, I guess, is the really the only obvious choice for me. Which is the final bit, the right? Yes. Yeah, so just to just Aquarela to recap, Brazil is that's uh, song. Jose doing his musical number with Donald when he's introduced. It's the only sort like real kind of song of the movie. I, feel. I mean, there there were other there was music, but a lot of it kind of like with Bambi is it was sing, songs that were playing over the background kind of it was either this or the opening song which is literally called saludos amigos it's like the opening theme of the movie right which, which um wasn't too catchy so which was funny because that sounded almost like a political uh anthem like a like a national anthem almost like i feel like that's something i can imagine the character is rising and you know you hear it over the loudspeaker and yeah <laughs> Planes flying over. I don't know. There's something about it being a wartime era, and maybe because I had it in mind, I was like, "Oh, this sounds like something that would be playing during a, a dictator's speech or something." I don't know. <laughs> and that dictator may or may not be uh, Walt Disney, but anyway. Um, but please tell the good folks at home your uh, song. I mean, I guess I'll, it's really. Let's just blend the two here, because, sure. uh, like you there's said, no it's like like you. My favorite song is the samba. And let's just move on to best animated sequence because it's also my favorite animated sequence. And I feel like the music and the sequence are like almost interlinked to a point because it's truly the only time in this entire movie when I feel like the animators actually like kind of understood what they were doing in a way, you know? The music and animation just like blended so perfectly where in the rest of the movie it doesn't. You know, not that the rest of the sequences had music. It's just this felt more, I don't know. I don't want to say advanced, but it did feel more advanced than most of the other stuff. That You're was talking about Brazil. Movie. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's my favorite animated sequence and the best song. And I feel like the two are just so interlinked because the music fed into the animation. It feels like the animators had fun off of the music. Um, so what is your best animated sequence? No, it's the same. I'll just cut, carry on from what you're saying. I like that, like the the paintbrush was creating the yeah. sequence as they went along. It was very creative. <clears throat> it felt like something out of a sketch, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it felt like because you wouldn't see that in a in a, a, a standard narrative for a Disney movie thus far. Yeah. Um, it was just it was unique because they had the, the music playing over it and. Like you said, the music and the animation went hand in hand. It reminded me a lot of Fantasia, and I'll bring that allegory in at the very end. But um, I don't really think there's much to say about it. It is a it is a great sequence. They show the nature expanding, the waterfalls uh, adding, uh, the color coming to life. Um, like they show a banana bunch that becomes a beak, uh, the beaks of parrots, and they fly away. It was just like very. It reminded me a lot of Fantasia actually because of how visually, um, I don't know transformative all the sequences were you know what i mean like it just yeah. kept evolving it kept moving and it was just no, it i was get good. what you're saying yeah but so then best voice actor i went with uh jose uh whose name that's, is literally jose that's the um, one because the uh, he just felt like 
he was having the most fun doing the voice. I don't know. Um, the fun just kind of like permeated through the voice box. You know, I could have went with Donald Duck, but in reality, like, you know, Don, it's not that it's, he's not a new character. I don't mean that to be a yeah. slight, but it, at the same time, this Jose just felt like he was having more fun. That's yeah. why I went with him. Yeah, that's a, a again, like this will be a trend. I'll just continue off of you. He's just, it's also, these are characters that we don't see often, I guess, these kinds of characters. Jose and then later would be. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a very, uh, this is probably the most sexual Disney character I've ever seen. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't going there, but I mean, yeah, you're, yeah, abs- yeah for, for sure. Until Roger um, Rabbit. We don't yeah. see as, <laughs> as sexual of a character. Well, that's also not a, not Disney. There's Disney characters in it, but that was uh, Roger Rabbit's not a Disney movie. Are you sure? Yeah, hundred percent. I thought it's on Disney Plus. Oh, it might be because they're owned by Disney owns everything. It's a Pac-Man conglomerate. Walt Disney purchased the rights yeah, for the story. It. No, it's production companies were Touchstone, which is a Disney subsidiary, Amblin, Amblin which is Steven Spielberg, Spielberg. and. Uh, the distribution was Buena Vista Pictures, which yeah. is owned by Disney. They were owned by Disney, which I I never because Disney this... is there's a ride in Disneyland that it, there's a Roger Rabbit ride. They definitely own the rights to Roger Rabbit. But this uh, this is not part of this can't be part of Disney's canon, is it? I don't know if there's like technical canon because I feel like well, I mean, in the sense of like their 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 chronological history. Well, like I maybe, feel like maybe because the joke of Roger Rabbit is like the cartoons bleed into the real world. So like everything else that we're watching technically within the idea of Roger Rabbit is like these are just actors and actresses that are doing the work. Let's get back can... into it. So most traumatizing moment. Tell us, Josh, what did you go with? I had to go with the Pedro segment. The little airplane. That was traumatizing to you? That was the most traumatizing thing that they even, that they added this entire, this whole sequence. I said, why are we, I'm traumatized right now that we're following this little plane. <laughs> they, I know the character was traumatized during the storm where the giant the wall looked like a face and lightning was striking. I never felt for the character, but I was very traumatized. Pedro, Pedro. <laughs> I really don't have a real answer, but that's as close as it's going to get. So tell um, the good folks at home. I know that this is a common trend almost in the past couple weeks, but I'm going to go with the general racism, uh, specifically at, at the Lake Titicaca uh, sequence. Some of those drawings were just like really, they just not okay. Was all of it racist? No. Like I said, when they get to Brazil, it looks like they were having a lot of fun. Pedro can't be offensive. He's a fucking plane. Um, the gaucho stuff, teeters the line but the lake titicaca stuff when they're showing the uh, people, some of these characters like, the the teeth and the that's what yeah, i'm saying i'm looking at it now it's really something that's what i'm saying the rest of the movie doesn't have that kind of racism i feel like but this that sequence specifically is just like wow um <laughs> so you ready to get into three caballeros holy smokes am i ever Donald Duck's crazy friends throw him a birthday party in South America. A party that he'll never forget. 
a zany tale about three wild and crazy birds of a feather. It's the wackiest animation to delight all ages. The Three Caballeros on video. This was a movie too. <laughs> that was a film. It was Stephen, a film. That... But Stephen, this one is more of a film, kind of. Uh, it's a little bit longer. Uh, I should have made a note that Saludos Amigos is the shortest movie in the Disney... Uh, 42 minutes. Yeah, 42 minutes, which is probably the best thing about it. Um, you're in and you're out. Uh, Three Caballeros is about an hour and like 13 minutes or something. Still short. And it's also more of a narrative. They do more with it, yeah. Where... There's, you know, Donald Duck is being shown things like that's the overarching story. Like there technically is a narrative story. Sure. Donald Duck learning about different cultures in South America, uh, but it still has a uh, sequences within the overarching movie. Sure. Yeah. It Did works you, better. Yeah. No, I didn't know if you had notes. No, I was gonna say I thought you were gonna get into the sig. I'll save it. I thought you were gonna talk about. Yeah, we'll get into the actual sequences. So the cold-blooded penguin. Um, that is the first sequence where uh, Sterling Holloway, who was Ka and the original voice of Pooh, narrates over it. Um, and it's about a penguin who lives in the South Pole, but gets cold, you know? He's, he's, uh, he wants some warmth. So he decides to build a boat to take him to a warmer place. Uh, the first boat doesn't work. The second boat doesn't work. The third boat doesn't work. But the fourth time is a charm. And, and then... he's off and gets to the Galapagos Islands. And he uh, likes it there. Then gold, he hops Goldie over Locks the Andes. And... <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, <laughs> she yeah. says, this boat's too big. This boat's too small. And then she says, this boat's just right. And then all the boats come home and they're like, who's this whore in all, in all these boats? You know, and and I should note that the uh, penguin's name was Pablo. <laughs> so we cut away from the the sequence and we hop over the Andes and see a couple birds. Uh, the main bird being the Akron, which was this loud ass, annoying, like Woody the Woodpecker ripoff. Um, but this eventually cuts to the flying uh, Gauchito. Was this before? Does this predate Woody the Woodpecker? No. Uh, we cut to the Flying Gauchitos, which is uh, a little boy who goes on a hunt for birds, but discovers a donkey that can fly. <laughs> and what does he do with this donkey? He ties it up, and they become friends and decide to get enter a race. Because with wings, how can the donkey lose? And this donkey nearly does because they take fucking forever to just show their wings. I don't understand why you're building suspense. Just win the fucking race. So th they win and they win a thousand pesos. And uh, apparently at the end, the last line is, and they were never heard from again. Not the, but it's mixed messaging because the narrator of this segment is also saying, I am that little boy. So if they were never heard from again, who's telling the story? I don't understand. <laughs> so many questions. So we cut away from there and Donald, one of Donald's presents starts <clears throat> to dance <laughs> because of course it does. It starts yeah. zombieing. Absolutely. And Donald opens it up and it's a book. And who's inside that book but Jose? 
Jose from our Saludos old friend. Amigos. And he starts singing about how awesome Baia is. Because this Bahia. place is Baia. Baia. That's that's <laughs> right, that's right. Because you know, when my when my present starts dancing, that's what it wants to talk about, you know, Baia. Um and Donald Duck shrinks down into the book and Jose and him jump in and have a crazy fucking time with live action people. Wild, bouncing buildings. The star buildings of this is Aurora Miranda. Aurora who plays Yaya, Miranda. Who plays Yaya. <laughs> oh, man. It's this sexy, beautiful dancer who is like selling cookies on the street initially. <laughs> And then decides to just like go off on a dance and kisses Donald at the end, I believe. And then he gets all, uh, he gets all kinds of excited. Some crazy stuff. Um, so Donald, get, they get out of the book and it takes Donald a minute to realize how to blow himself back up to normal size. Great. Uh, so then we start hearing another voice and who is it? It's Panchito. <gasps> and the song, the three caballeros breaks out. We have the little children screaming. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and we're going to Mexico. We're leaving Brazil and going to Mexico we go to with Mexico. Panchito. Panchito. They sing the three caballeros and then hop on a Mexico. Where they do no, the pinata stuff. Yeah, but they hop on a flying serape. Serape. Yeah. <laughs> because they can't do a magic carpet. So they're flying on a, a serape. A serape or Yorongo. Yeah. Jorongo is a long blanket-like shawl, often brightly colored and fringed at the ends, worn in Mexico, especially by men. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So Donald, uh, Jose, and Panchito hop on their flying serape, and they go and tour Mexico. In Mexico, and then ultimately that leads them to the last song, You Belong to My Heart. These are, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, these the... are technically the segments, You Belong to My Heart and Donald, uh, yeah, You Belong to My Heart. You're doing good. Yeah, you keep going. Yeah, uh, where Donald <laughs> enters this, like, crazy dream sequence with Dora Lutz's head singing to him. And ultimately that leads to like Donald on the beach and like they're dancing and I, I don't know, it's some crazy stuff, but it, it ends with fireworks where the fireworks write the word Finn, the movie's over. The end. So, the end. <laughs> um, as you Holy can see, smokes. you know, I, I don't know. You're trying. We'll get into final thoughts eventually. Let's get first. Let's get into uh, the categories. What's your best song? Um, I think this is the name of the song. For all for all the Spanish folks at home, please forgive me as always. Uh, Os Kindins de Yaya, the song of Yaya, I guess, is the one that she sings in yep. in Bahia. Um, it was the only. I mean, this yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> this actually had way more catchy music. I can't feel like it's hard to really compare to Saludos, which is more of just like a learning lesson. 
It was more of just like, hey, here's another country. You know, it's just whereas this is kind of like we kind of de- take a deeper dive. Yeah, so. I will say that this movie had a general flow about it, where Saludos did not. But we'll get if, into that later. Right, right, right. So, but the Osquindes or the the Bahia uh, whole segment, that whole song, uh, I thought was great. Everything about it, I thought it was catchy. Um, I, I love seeing the live action characters, um, the woman followed by the men who look like they were almost like barbershop quartets, like Spanish versions of them. And they're just like with the guitar and the horn, it felt like a kind of like a salsa version of like a Broadway bit. Um, it, yeah, almost, it definitely had like a, uh, Gene Kelly kind of vibe. Absolutely. I almost, I made a note that it felt like a predecessor to like, um, Mary Poppins, like in the sense that it's, it's animation it's the live action characters in an animated world. And it's like supposed to be this fun bouncy, like musical esque kind of moment. Um, oh, that's a good th- call. My, my runner up was the three Caballeros song, but yeah, well, we'll get into that right now. Cause that's my pick. Um, beautiful. I, I just think that uh, overall, that's the most catchy of the songs. You know, I walk away from this movie and I can still hear it in my head. Where the rest of the music, it's great, but I also don't speak Spanish, so the songs kind of just like go over my head to a point, you know. I, sure. I can't, uh, I can't um, understand what they're saying or singing at all. So, like, how am I supposed to sing it back to myself? You know, well, you're, uh, you know, you're an American. You're a silly American man who's, you know, is not cultured. So you know, yeah. that's it. I'm the same boat. I'm in the same boat. So. So best animated sequence. Yes, I tell the good folks at home. With the three caballeros. Um, I think that, uh, let, well, first let me give some backstory on this sequence. This was created by our, by our guy, uh, Ward Campbell. Uh, and the nine old men really took over during the wartime era. This is like their time to shine especially after the strike, the second tier of animators were, were gone. So the Nine Old Men really took over and it became political real fast. So Ward Kimball creates this animated sequence and the Nine Old Men, well, I guess the eight other men like scoff at it. They fucking hate it because it breaks every rule that Walt has ever set up because it doesn't have a general gravitational f- pull to it. You know, the characters can literally appear and disappear under sombreros. They pop up because a, spite- a spotlight turns on them. There's no natural flow to it. It's just like a conglomerate of heat flash. And the eight other men were, got very political and hated this. They're like, Walt's going to hate it. Walt sees it, and he loves it. Yeah. Well, um, you and I have talked about how, especially with Bambi, we talked about last week, about how the animation really does change all throughout these movies. Where it's, And we've talked about the, the difference between the realism, you know, um, the, be it the nature backdrops or like the realistic looking deer or animals <clears throat> in Bambi. And then there's that bouncy cartoonish kind of world that was really introduced with like the seven dwarves. Um, and it's kind of like, it, like you've said, um, um, I don't remember which, which, what, I think it was something in Fantasia where like the, oh no, sorry, in like Dumbo, how even the train was bouncing. You said it was unabashedly yeah. a cartoon. And so Disney has very, thus far, what you and I have watched has kind of tiptoed this line very well between like, um, 
realistic, um, not even realistic, it's just more of just admirable kind of animation in like a portrait sense, and then these very bouncy kind of uh, characters. Um, well, in a way, this is kind of how you, like, you can tell through the animation that this is when the nine old men took over. You may not know it, like, if you don't know the history, but from here on out, the style of animation is kind of solidified where just the way that characters look stay the same for the next, I want to say like 20 years when the nine old men are running things because the style is just solidified. Look at the movies that came before this and look at the ones that come like after the bronze, uh, sorry, after the silver age, you know, sure. they, they have a different like look to them. These movies have like a very consistent look from here on out. <clears throat> well, it's been experimental thus far. And I think that's the whole point of what, that's part of the, part of the point of what you and I are doing to tackling all this. Cause it's just been a very kind of like throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. It's kind of just figuring out what it is, what style they're going for. And like you're saying it, it they I guess they stick to a vision after this. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said uh, before, you know, the war changed things because, uh, well, and the strike changed things because the strike kicked out the older people and the nine old men were able to take over and then the war happened and the nine old men were really, I mean, uh, like I said, a couple of them did go off to war, uh, but most of them stayed at the company. So they were able to, to, to essentially stake their claim in how the style should look and it because of how long their reign ended up being it just solidified the animated style of the company anyway and this what is, is and this is part of your backstory to your best song when you picked three caballeros yeah because you yeah. you were talking about the sombreros and all that and i was about to say anyway we should focus back on the thing i just think well, that the three to... caballeros is the most innovative of the whole bunch of animation that went in this. But um, that's just me. What's your sure. best animated sequence? Um, I also, I went with Bahia again, really just everything. I know it's the live, uh, it's live act, it's a lot of live action, so it's not really the best animated sequence, but I love the infusion of it. Um, just seeing, um, it was the area, it was before they get, oh, I'm sorry. It was the early part of Bahia when they have, they do the slow music, when they have the oil painting of like the sunset um, and the nature and like the birds and the buildings. It's kind of like, it felt like an oil painting. It, um, it was early. I don't even, it was in the beginning of Bahia before Donald meets, goes into the book mm -hmm. or is before he meets the woman. They show the whole slow segment because again, it reminded me of Fantasia. No, I get um, what you're saying. It was the whole exploration of it. It wasn't as bouncy or colorful. I really love the juxtap juxtaposition of the different styles of animation like we were just talking about. Um, it was really, it's such a, it's a long sequence, but that early part is what I had made a note of. Um, I had said with the live action actors in the bouncy background, uh, animated background was cool, but um, the early parts of the depiction of it was, was uh, I don't know, visually uh, popping. But. Cool. Yeah. Uh, best voice actor again I have Jose I just feel like I don't know I like I said before he's just having so much fun with this role I feel like he's fucking tonguing the mic and just loving it you know yeah it works um, I went with Joaquin uh, Joaquin Gary mm -hmm. 
Panchito, I guess the Panchito Pistoles. The third Caballero. The third, I like, if he was new, I don't think I've ever seen this character again. I think he's only, I don't think he's ever really popped up anywhere in Disney. It's interesting because these are characters like I've really, I've only ever, like I've said, uh, I've seen the Disney sing-along videos from the VHS tapes. Uh, I thought it was a very unique character. He compliments Jose very well. And it's it's very interesting to see Donald in the middle of all of it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Pon- all three of them have a ride in uh, Epcot right now, the Mexican Pavilion. Oh, okay. But I think that's changing soon. Although who knows with, who knows anymore. Uh, most traumatizing moment, go for it. Um, I really, again, it was hard for me to choose. Uh, I guess the Lilongo was the song where Donald Duck was dancing and all the, uh, all the people were watching him and to watch all these live action people clapping and, um, these actors miming their, uh, like laughs and smiles at this gonzo dancing Donald Duck. I said, this is just very, I'm going to have nightmares watching this. Um, the runner-up was the tiptoed line between the cultural education and borderline offensive uh, depiction of, uh, you know, the different countries. Not nearly as bad as Saludos. But <laughs> it's as close as I'm going to get. But tell the good folks at home what your pick is. Uh, I went with You Belong to My Heart. I just feel like that floating head was just very strange. <laughs> uh, and then Donald Duck is like, really just like trying to make out with anyone he can he has a thing for uh latino women um his hormones are raging in this one in this movie i guess uh, i guess like that's what disney is trying to tell us with both these movies that south america is just a very sexual place so then do you want to tell the good people you're fine although you know let's not have final thoughts let's like have a discussion about these two movies i feel like gonna say I feel like uh, that'll flow better. <clears throat> so you could start, though. I'll kick us off. So a couple things here uh, is that I felt like this was far more inform. This was trying to be far more informative and educational than it was trying to kind of tell a good story. Like we were we said this whole time, it's not really a narrative. They're kind of just sketches. Both of these movies, I think, are important to show culture beyond America. You know what I mean? They're proving that. Disney can step outside the box and uh, that they can step outside their country and they can kind of just like, you know, show other parts of life. Um, that being yeah, said, you know, what? seeing the life of a deer is not uh, anything it's, new. I mean, come it's, on. It's really just, that's not as different as it gets to a human being. Right. It's really wild. So I think, you know, seeing these characters put on sombreros and shoot off pistols is just the way to do it. Um, <clears throat> but the real, what I really thought is that it kind of, for me personally, like I admired that it felt like a Spanish Fantasia kind of because of how many, how experimental it was. It's not as hard hitting as Fantasia. It's not nearly as memorable, but what it was trying to do was experimental in that same way. So I admire it. Um, for me, it was kind of like a workout to sit through these. It was like a chore, but it yeah, felt I like. Yeah, I felt bad. Uh, when I, when, <laughs> as soon as I saw them, I know like you had this thought when we were going through um, the Friday the 13th movies, like I, I had a thought like oh my god what did i do <laughs> i think it's only fair that i had you sit through i had you sit through friday the 13th you're having me sit through this we're experiencing we're experiencing it together we're having similar thoughts uh i'm sitting there and i'm going what the hell are we doing and yet at the same time like 
there is, and I've reiterated this in other episodes, but it's like, I never ever until the day I die would have ever sat down to watch either of these if we weren't doing this. So it's kind of like, I'm being informed because now I can say I've seen, you know, new animated bits that I've never seen before rather than, you know, whatever, watching, you know, yeah, watching a, anyway, another horror movie, you know? For me, it's kind of that you and I have had this conversation off, uh, off the microphones, but what I found most interesting about this uh, entire segment thus far has really been the history of the company and of Walt himself. Yeah. And just how these movies are getting made. Uh, like you, I don't think I ever really would have sat down and watched either one of these movies if I was given the opportunity not to. Uh, because, you know, why would I? But learning about the historical context and then sitting down and watching the movies really helps. I think it gives me a deeper appreciation for what I'm watching. Yeah, I, I and, feel like... Uh, and these movies specifically, the appreciation is almost needed because on their own merit, neither one of them is like truly a great work. I think that Saludos Amigos is kind of rough to get through it's only 42 minutes but you know some of the segments are just like why is this even here like we made fun of the pedro one but the goofy is a gaucho wasn't like that much better either um you know if it wasn't goofy i wouldn't have cared at all um where i think that the three caballeros it still has that ability to jump around, but because there's that overarching story of Donald opening presents for his birthday. On Friday the 13th. Yeah, on Friday the 13th. That was the note I wanted to make like 20 minutes ago when we were talking. <laughs> yeah. I just think that, uh, I don't know, maybe the overarching story, as simple and hollow as it is, it helps a little bit. Yeah, because it keeps a thread going. Um, I think that like what just to like telling what you're saying is the whole watching these chronologically has helped because it's almost like, I mean, it feels like a school project in a good way. Cause it's like, you're, here's the semester, here's the course that we're doing. Right. And we're going to go through these, there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows, you know? And I think that's what's informative about it. Like what we've been saying, we, when we, we have ever watched these, but also watching them chronologically and knowing the history is cool because it feels like, we're almost doing like a brief, like a brief. It's like, Hey, here's the history lesson. And now you're going to watch and see how the history affects the film because it makes these, all of these movies a better watch. The history it, is almost justification for some of these films. Right. Not that uh, specifically this leap more than any of them, because, right. you know, as, as we've seen, the animation has gotten better from film to film, but on top of the animation, the story in of itself has been getting like better and better. You know, say what you will about Dumbo, uh, but it still has a stronger narrative story than Saludos Amigos. Sure. And it's just the historical context is almost needed when you're watching it because it is such a huge leap yeah. from even Bambi. Bambi this, was yeah. like so meticulously done. And this is like... I, this felt just like a travel 
guide. I know that's what they were paid to do by the government, but at the same time, it's like you could have made a story or something. Right. That's what my, I think that's what makes these, uh, uh, makes them special. You know what I mean? It's kind of just not the movies themselves, but it's everything going on for the time. Because if the war hadn't happened and this whole deal with Disney and South America hadn't, you know, wasn't tied, it's kind of like, when would they have ever made a, a movie like this? You know what I mean? Like if things didn't, it's because of how, what was happening in the world and what was happening in those countries that affected the movies themselves. So it gives it an extra layer. It's not just like, Hey, here's the movie and here's what we think, but it's like, Hey, here's everything going on around it, which is what keeps it uh, unique. Well, we've so been even talking though, about historical context before, I just want to ask this question. Uh-huh. I, you know, when doing the research, something I found interesting was the fact that like when people in America watched this movie, they were shocked that there were skyscrapers in South America. Right. You know, so did it in a historical context, uh, Walt also made very big inroads with South American people in general. So, you know, though the movies may not be great, did it accomplish what it needed to accomplish? Yeah. That's really the question. Um, one of the top trivia notes that I didn't say earlier is that the movie actually had a positive influence for its depiction of the countries, especially like the live action bits because people had not, people had, a, I guess, a, a misunderstanding of what the country was actually like. Um, and kind of seeing it for what it was, get opened people's eyes because no one had ever really kind of seen it like that. Not quite on a, on a, on a film for American audiences anyway. Honestly, um, I think that like off of what kind of what you're saying, the problem with this movie is, and maybe it's unwarranted because the point of this movie was for American citizens, but I almost wish that it went deeper into uh, the Spanish cultures. You know? Oh, absolutely. You know, I wish that the art style mimicked some of their style rather than the Disney style. I, I completely this agree. This is the first time that I feel like there's been a quote unquote Disneyfication of any of their movies. Right. You know, as interesting as Jose and Panchito are, they're still just birds that can sing with Donald Duck. You know, they're catchy, but it's like, you know. You feel like they were, for them doing what they did with this, that they should have taken a bigger risk. Yeah. Because like everything. Especially if the government is backing you. If you lost money, there was nothing to lose. Right. Because everything, everything thus far has kind of been experimental. And with Fantasia, like bombing... And, you know, Walt, it breaking Walt and the strike and all that. It's kind of like you see them taking risks with the projects. Like even Dumbo with how quickly they had to rush it. And then it ended up being a huge success. But that's you know, the paradox of what we're talking about right, right now. It's right. both, this, these, both these movies are both innovative and yet at the same time regressive. It's, it's informative. Like I had said earlier when I was talking first talking about the final thoughts, it's, it's kind of, it's informative and educational and that's where it counts. Yeah. Like, is it something that, you know, like I said, either of us would watch or is it something I would willingly watch again? Probably not. But it's also like I feel more informed having watched it and having learned the history. So it's cool. You know what I mean? It's yeah. – I never felt like we've really learned – like we learn about the history of the films, of course. But it's like when we were like, um, uh, you know, doing one-offs or no, the uh, – the double hitters with Friday the 13th it's like we were just kind of like having fun we learned a little bit about the directors always changing but it was never really like 
educational in this sense that we're learning about. So these films, even though they're like a chore, I, I, I feel like it's not really a waste of time, you know? <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything to add. I think that's a good, that's a good spot. Yeah. So are you ready to give your pick of the week? I am. And uh, I'm just going to own it. It's uh, 2011's Gore Verbinski uh, picture, Rango. Good one. Good one. Uh, or should I say an animated Chinatown. Uh, big fan. A big fan of this movie. I don't know if it won Best Animated. I know it was nominated for Best Animated. I think it did win, but I would have to check it out. In 2012. I, um, I love how in the age of – because Disney really has just become – for better, for for better and worse, mostly better. It's not like hurting hurting anything, but it's like Disney has really taken over animated films. Uh, we've talked about like the Don Bluth era kind of just disappearing in Universal animated movies, just diminishing, not diminishing, but they're they're just shrinking, and it's kind of just as Disney continues to buy more property, everything becomes Disneyfied. So to see something like Rango, which for its time, we've talked almost every episode about how like oh today things aren't. Uh, with with animated movies, you you couldn't you can't get away with certain things. No one takes as many risks, or things aren't as traumatizing. And um, not that Rango has anything traumatizing, but it's a very adult animated movie. Um, sure, it's PG, and it's you know a movie that children can enjoy, but it's really I feel like a movie designed kind of for adults. Um, not necessarily in an inappropriate sense, but it's just a very mature kind of movie to it. Um, and I can see why a lot of kids would get bored, and a lot of parents probably wouldn't pick it to show their children, but yeah. that's kind of what I love about it. It's very ambitious uh, with agree. the decisions. And sticking uh, the character in a Western setting kind of reminded me of uh, a little bit of the, you know, the Spanish culture. I'm gonna stick, yeah. stick to my guns. I uh, wanna just point out that it did win best animated picture at the Oscars. Cool. So cool. my choice is Coco, uh, 2016's Coco. Or is it 2017? Either way. I think it's 17. Yeah, it is, because that also won Best Animated Picture at the Oscars. Anyway, uh, this movie, I think, is a great depiction of Mexican culture, but it's not from a condescending tone that these that the movies we talked about kind of have. You know, it integrates you into the culture rather than teaches you about the culture. It's about a boy who strums a guitar on Dia de los Huertos and gets a trip to the other side of the living. And pretty good. This movie is beautiful from an animation standpoint. Like the animation is unbelievable. And I know like 10 years from now that it will probably maybe look primitive the way that Toy Story 1 now does. But at the time, that movie's like, the way that they were able to animate each, each individual like hair strand was fucking mind-blowing. I've heard, like, I've heard it's, in, everything about it's amazing. I've yeah, never seen it. How they like develop mm-hmm. petals for the rose bridge is beautiful. But on top of that, it's just heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, if you walk away from that movie without at least shedding at least one man tear, you're a better man than I am. I yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I've heard that same, those same de- descriptions. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. So that's my pick of the week. That's wonderful, Stephen. Then I think that this is where we will end our coverage of Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. Next week, we will 
be covering Make Mine Music, which is not as easy to find as we once thought, uh, and Fun and Fancy Free. These movies, uh, I have not watched either one of them before, so could be good, could be bad. Who knows? (laughs) As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart, and you can follow Josh and I and the whole podcast at Who's Filmography on Instagram. Hey, we finally did it, folks. So we will see you next time. Adios, amigos. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to. Thank you.